Romans chapter 15, we'll read verses 14 through 21. Beginning of verse 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace of God, or the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard, they shall understand. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, we are thankful again for your holy word which instructs us in the way of righteousness. It tells us about the gospel of Christ and how we are to respond to it and live in a way that pleases you. We pray now that your spirit would be used mightily to speak to us, to transform us by the renewing of our minds, all for your glory. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we continue through Paul's letter to the Christians at Rome, as some might say, his magnum opus, his treatise on the gospel of God. And as we've gone through that, we've seen the technical side of the gospel, the theology involved with that, all of those doctrines. He's talked about justification, sanctification, and even how God causes all things to work together for our good who love Him. Those who are the called according to His purpose. And so He calls us to holiness as well. But as we come to this section in His letter, nearing its end, we see a more personable side of the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you look there at verse 14, he commends those to whom he writes. He says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. And so he is confident concerning their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their ability. You'll note there what he says, they're filled with all knowledge, and in the original, the result there is that they are full of goodness, that fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are able to therefore admonish one another. And that means they're able to counsel one another. And so we ought to note that as we talk about sometimes and think about counseling ministries. That Christians equipped with the knowledge of the all-sufficient and inspired Word of God are able to give biblical counsel to 
one another. And so Paul, he affirms his knowledge about their faith in the Lord Jesus. And so then the question might arise. Well, Paul, if you are so confident about, confident about where we are as Christians, why have you written like this? I mean, there's some pretty strong language in this letter. There's some rebukes, there's correction, and so forth. So why is it that he's written in this way? So he tells them there in verse 15, it is to remind them of the gospel. So that's a lesson for us today, that uh, we need to be reminded, we forget we, as God's Word says, at some points we are a stubborn people. We can be. And we need to be reminded of the road that we are on, the path that we are on, whether it's a good one or a bad one. But we need these reminders. We need to stay in the Word and so forth. And so he's reminding them of the Gospel. And also, he notes there in verse 16, he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, a minister of the Gospel of God. So he wrote to remind them of the gospel and also because he was an apostle sent to the Gentiles. Remember at his conversion in Acts chapter 9, there in verse 15, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he appears to him and uh, he converts Saul into Paul and he calls them, he, he gives him the ministry of an apostle and says that he will be my servant too the Gentiles, to the nations. But I think there's another reason that's not in here. Paul wrote this letter under the inspiration of God the Spirit so that we might have it today. It's part of the whole counsel of God, right? It's part of the Bible. And so here we have it before us, so let us not take God's Word for granted. And let us understand how the Bible is put together. Uh, Paul is not a robot uh, he wrote, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Lord used His gifts and providential circumstances like the other writers of Scripture as well. But every word we have is from God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, Matthew 5.17, and so forth. And so then as we view this last portion of his letter, this section we've read this morning, uh, we see the personable side of Paul. We see his um, ministry in action. And we gain insight, therefore, to that ministry. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at three characteristics of the Apostles' ministry. And uh, as we do that, we uh, shed light on what should be every Christian's ministry to a degree, and this church's ministry as well, as a whole. So we see the O-U-G-H-T O -U -G -H -T of our ministry. So first of all, we see here that the Apostles' ministry was a devoted ministry. That it was dedicated to the Lord. That what he did, he did unto the Lord. And uh, there's a, an interesting picture that he presents to them here. Uh, notice the words in verse 16. Uh, the word, first of all, minister, that he might be a minister, a servant of Jesus Christ. The word ministering the gospel of God. And then that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. He, he uses the word, the term ministering. That's a verb there. And he talks about the offering. So verse 16, that word ministering is a verb used to represent the actions of the Old Testament priests. The priesthood. 
uh, their duties and what they did. So does this mean that uh, Paul considered himself the same thing? And does this mean that in our day and time, this side of Calvary, that uh, pastors and church leaders are priests in that sense? Well, no. After all, he's using this term figuratively. He's already used this imagery. Remember chapter 12, he said in verse 1, I beseech you, I plead with you, therefore, in light of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or worship. He's already used this terminology figuratively. So we offer our bodies daily as a living sacrifice to God. And I think Paul is going down that path when he uses this word in the original. Um, By the way, what is it that he's offering? He's offering the gospel. He's offering the Gentiles. And so did Paul sacrifice people on the altar of God? No. But he offered the gospel back to the living and true God. And uh, so let me just pause here for a moment because there have been those who have seen this and said, well, the, uh, the clergy is a priesthood. And there is this distinction between the clergy and every other Christian. And how did this start? Well, uh, just to be brief, it started roughly in the 200s in the year of our Lord uh, by one of the so-called church fathers, Cyprian. He had some good things to say and do, and he had some bad things that he said and did, evidently. Um, but one man, Robert Haldane, this is what he said. You know, um, Cyprian, of course, applied all the duties of the Levitical priesthood to the officers of the Christian church. But Robert Haldane tells what happened in the history of the Christian church. He said the bread of the Lord's table at length became the body of Christ in a literal sense. The bread. The table on which it lay became the altar. The teachers became the priest who offered the sacrifice of the mass. And the contributions of Christians became offerings. In all these things and innumerable others, the figurative sense has been by a gross imagination and the article of Satan turned into a literal sense to utter subversion of truth. So let us see what Paul says here. He is saying that his service as an apostle of Jesus Christ was as a priest making an offering to God. And his offering was the gospel and the Gentiles. If you see there in verse 16, he says that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. And so there again is his offering, presenting the Gentile converts to Christ to the living God. And by the way, these Gentiles, they're only accepted. Why? Because of the work of the Spirit. Someone in that congregation, perhaps the Jewish people, might say, well, how in the world can the unclean become become clean? And he says, well, they're sanctified, they're made holy, they're made clean. How? By the Holy Spirit. God Himself has done this. And so here's Paul in his ministry, serving the gospel. People come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is his offering, his presentation His service to the living God. So he is saying, Christ has saved me. I have the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That sacrifice is my offering. It is my ministry. And by the way, ministry means what? 
service. And service. So that's what he's doing there. And the only way these Gentiles could be made sanctified or holy by the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to them. Christ shed His blood to cleanse us from our sins. And so the Holy Spirit in space and time through the preaching of the Gospel applies the work of Christ to us and he, as He did to these Gentiles and He sanctified them. That's what He is saying. And, and so when we think about the idea of priest or priesthood, uh, we as Protestants, you could say Reformed Christians, those following the Bible, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. Right? We all have access to God now. As 1 Timothy 2 says in verse 5, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so if you want to come to God, you may, as you should, but you may only come through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, as He says, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes through the Father, but through me. And so, Paul lifts this before us. And so there's no hope for the self-righteous. There's no hope for any other non-Christian system. And Paul, as a redeemed man, purchased with the blood of Christ, having that work applied to him by the Spirit, and his service and his ministry dedicates it to God. He brings it to God. And these Gentiles are part of that ministry. And as he did that, he acknowledged that his work was the work of God himself. If you look there in verse 17, he says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. The things which pertain to God, the work of the gospel, his work as an apostle. He says, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus. What? He's boasting. He boasts in Christ Jesus, but I thought you weren't supposed to brag. I thought you weren't supposed to boast. Well, Paul says elsewhere, let him, in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? So we have to be careful. Know what Paul does here. He doesn't say, oh, it's no big thing. It's no big thing. These Gentiles, yeah, they're coming by the thousands all over this area, that area. Uh, yeah, but it's no big thing, and uh, yeah, I'm just a you know just a, a little instrument in God's hand. That's partly true. He is an instrument in God's hand, but he doesn't diminish what God is doing. Right? He doesn't downplay the work of God in his own life, the work of God in his midst through his own ministry. And so, let us be careful uh, when we do seek to be humble as we should. We should never seek to be prideful. We should never have pride month, pride year, pride day. We shouldn't have a pride moment. It was because of pride that man fell into sin. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But as we try to be humble, remember not to diminish the work that God has done. We give glory to God for doing it, but we give God glory for the work that He does. That's, that's the point. And so, Paul gives acknowledgement to that work of God. And so as we think about this, and as Paul, in some sense, defends his ministry here, he describes it, uh, his approach, his desire, his motive, was not to be a rock star apostle. 
you know, and be used broadly. I mean, in one sense, it was to be used broadly. But that's what some men say today. They just want to be used broadly by the Lord, which means they want a big church and a big following on Twitter. To which I would respond, you know, James says, be careful, you who teach. You're going to be judged by what you teach. And if you are used in that way, praise the Lord. If your ministry is like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. And he sought to be faithful to the Lord, to present his ministry before the feet of the Lord as it were. And so what about you this morning in your ministry? Can you say that your ministry is like the Apostle Paul? What I, Do I mean you're an apostle? No. But do you present your ministry to and before the Lord in order to give Him glory, to give Him the credit, not to be in the spotlight. Um, and by the way, if that's not our motive, we become frustrated. We become bitter because we take our eyes off the Lord. We forget why we do ministry in the first place. Why? Because Jesus saved me and I want to give that offering of thanksgiving back to Him. Ministry becomes a drudgery. There are disappointments in ministry, no doubt. Just do it long enough. You will be disappointed. Why? Because humans are involved. Because you're involved. We have sin in our hearts. We're frail. It's, it's too cold outside to go to that event. It's raining. I don't want to go. So you schedule something. People don't show up. I'm not talking about this afternoon or anything in particular, just so you know. But th- these are things that, that happen. There's something better to do. But why are we doing it in the first place? Why are we serving Why do we organize? Why do we teach? Why do we set up and tear down? Why do we bake? Why do we cook? And do all these things. So Paul's ministry was devoted to the Lord. It was dedicated to the Lord. Second, we see here that Paul's ministry um, was one in which he depended upon and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was a ministry dependent upon and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Um, If Paul was dependent on the Spirit, who, by the way, is also called the Spirit of Christ, then he knows from where it is that his power, his strength comes. And if he knows from where it is that his power and strength comes, he should be willing to acknowledge that. And as we've already seen, that is the case with Paul, and he continues to do that there in verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed. So what does he mean when he says that? There's basically two possibilities. One is that he would not claim credit for the work done by another minister. You know, he says um, in 1 Corinthians, he's talking to those who are followers of men, by the way and followers of Apollos, this person, that person. He says, look, this person planted, this person watered, but God Himself gave the increase. So he acknowledges that even with some people, they have different people that ministered to them and helped them in their coming to Christ and their Christian walk later. And so Paul may be speaking about something very close to that, saying he will not take glory or credit for the work that others have done. Think about these Romans. He has never been to these Christians at Rome. He's writing to them, 
He had heard about them in detail. He wanted to see them, but he had never visited them. So he's not going to take credit for what someone else has done by taking the gospel to them. It could be that. The second thing that he could mean is that he would only boast about those things that Christ had done through him as an instrument of Christ. I think that fits the context a little better. That seems to be the case. He would not boast in himself, but only in Christ who uh, worked through him. Uh, Listen to Colossians chapter uh, 3, or chapter uh, 2, I think it is. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, it's chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says there, And whatever you do in word or deed, there it is again, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so whatever he does, and the command is for whatever you and I do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus as His representative, bringing glory and honor to Him, giving thanks to Him. And so that's what Paul did wherever he went. Whether it was speaking, just think about that in word. Giving glory to God in the words that you speak. Having that salty speech uh, seasoned with the gospel of grace, right? So that we say things that um, are kind, but also are truthful, and that help to what a man's appetite for the gospel of Christ. Or their deeds. His deeds, our deeds. Giving glory to God. Glorify God in your bodies, the Scripture tells us. And the result here, he says, verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So if you break this down, you'll find out part of his aim in the ministry, it was uh, to be used by Christ, by His words, by His deeds, to make the Gentiles obedient. You say obedient. That's legalism. No, it's not. Trying to earn your salvation through any way at all is legalism. But obedience is what God calls us to. In fact, you can be obedient to the call of gospel. The gospel presents the facts and then there's this summons, right? Repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our obedience. Faith itself is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift, the Scriptures tell us. Perhaps when Paul talks about the obedience of the Gentiles, as he says elsewhere, he's talking about the obedience of the nations. And by the way, what is the great commission given by Christ to His church? Some people say evangelism, evangelism. Yes. But what does Christ say as well? In Matthew 28, He declares His sovereignty over heaven and over earth. He says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, the Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so obedience, teaching others to become disciples, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved, but also to follow Him, to follow the commandments that He's given as part of discipleship. And by the way, He says there, I am with you. That's comforting. The presence of Christ is the power we need to live the Christian life. And it is the presence of Christ, even after He ascended on high, He says, Lo, I'm going away, but but lo, I'm going to be with you. Well, how? How would He empower His apostles to commit their work? How does He empower us today to live the Christian life? Well, if you look there, in verse 19, He says, in, this is how he accomplished his ministry, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. It's the presence of the Spirit in our lives that gives us power to do what God has called us to do. And so he was dependent upon the Lord Jesus. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ and God Himself. All three of the Persons of the Godhead are mentioned in this section. And so they all three are involved in salvation and in the work of the gospel. But he says, in mighty signs and wonders, remember those were the signs of an apostle. He talks about that. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. Uh, signs and wonders. They were badges that the apostles could pull out, right? And show people, I've been sent in the name and by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they, they would heal someone. They would say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. Stand up, rise up, walk. Take up your bed. Because it's Christ who is doing this through me. And so they had the signs of an apostle. Badges to represent the one who had sent them. So that's why we don't have apostles today, in case you're wondering. Nope. People may call themselves apostles, but they're not. Because there were 12 and one died. And then there was the apostle Paul And so, when the last of those apostles died, so did that office. You can read about that in Ephesians 2. Or you can see what the signs of an apostle were in 2 Corinthians 12. Also, by the way, another qualification of an apostle was that they had to see the risen Christ. So, if someone says they're an apostle, you can ask them, have you seen the risen Lord Jesus? By the way, if you have, that means the second coming has come. But have you seen the the risen Lord Jesus? Second, oh, um, I've got this bad... This, this broken back, can you heal that? Or my, my grandmother's on her deathbed, can you come heal her? Because if you're an apostle, surely you could. But Paul mentions that it's all by the power, the mighty working of the Spirit of God. And so as we think about that, I know there's a lot there, as we think about His dependency on the Lord and the work of the Spirit for His ministry, think about this. You young people, maybe you're thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do when I get out of college? Or maybe you're halfway through your career and you're like, well, what's next? Well, there's God's providence in all this, right? And whatever He calls you to, He will equip you for it. If you can't hammer a nail, He's not going to call you to be a carpenter. If you can't do math, He's not going to call you to be an engineer. 
If you can't do math and he calls you to be an engineer, perhaps he will give you great math skills suddenly in his providence. But you see my point. And so it is with life in general, our sense of calling. Um, but it is it's true as well in the life of the church. We have gifts of the Spirit, some of which were temporary, some were not. We've looked at that, Romans 12. And so Christ Himself, by His Spirit, equips us to serve in the body. And as we serve in the body and serve out in the world, in the name of Christ, we have to be, we must be dependent upon the Lord. Whatever our ministry is. And so when we do it, and we do a good job, let us give glory to God for it. Right? Don't forget this. We are dependent upon the Lord. In Acts 17, it says He gives men life and breath and all things. Can't breathe without the Lord. But more than that, He wants you to see and to acknowledge that dependence upon Him. Right? Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without Me, you can do what? Nothing. In Philippians 4, Paul says, You know, I've learned all these lessons. I've been in all sorts of circumstances. I had one. I was hungry. I had abundance. I had this. I didn't have this. And then he sums it up. He says, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul was that type of person. He knew it. He felt it. He experienced it. And he preached it and taught it. His dependence upon the Lord is... Is the Lord teaching you to be dependent upon Him today? You're in a circumstance, health, a relationship, marriage, job, church. Perhaps He is. You know, He says in Zechariah 4, in verse 6, it's not by might, not by strength, but by my Spirit says the Lord. And I think He's been teaching us as a church to depend upon Him. You know, way back when, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, this church started, one of the concerns was, not by me, I wasn't here yet, but uh, another seasoned church planter said things are happening too fast. And, uh, you know, we had some funding, we had people, there's a lot of energy, things you want to see, but were we being dependent? I'll leave that up to you who are here to answer that for yourself. But more recently, we've had that lesson, right? Where are we going to worship? Are we going to have to worship at 5? Are we going to have to worship at 2.30 during parents' nap time or during children's nap time or when people don't visit churches? Are we going to grow if we have to meet at 5? And what, what's going to happen? Some people will come back to evening worship. So what? I mean, come on. What's going to happen? They can't, whatever. Trust the Lord. And by the grace of God, I can say this. I've been a Christian long enough. I haven't fretted. I haven't fretted. The Lord provides. One of His names is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And so He teaches us constantly in our lives to trust Him. His ministry was devoted to God. It was dependent upon the Lord, His Spirit. And then last, you can see there, verses 19-21, through 21, it was an extensive ministry. I believe since the Lord smiled 
on Paul's motive for ministry. And because the Lord, the Holy Spirit, empowered Paul's ministry, Paul was able to accomplish much during his life and work as an apostle. Now, when you read this, or if you study the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, and your jaw drops to the table because of what he accomplished, think of a few things, at least two. That was over a long period of time. It was before automobiles. But also, Paul was single. At least I believe he was. He says as much in 1 Corinthians 7. He was a member of the Sanhedrin which required that they be married, but maybe he was married and then his wife died or who knows what happened. I don't know. I think he was single. So it's not as though he hauled up or put his family in the Winnebago and, you know, traveled, you know, uh, the Middle East and parts of Europe as an itinerant preacher. Um, But some of the apostles did have wives and they accomplished much too. And the point is, he, he accomplished a lot. And so he's, Bringing glory to God here, and I think the connection is because of his motive for ministry, because of his empowerment for ministry, he was able to do these things. If you look at verse 19, after he says the Spirit of God, it was by the Spirit of God you see the words, so that. In the original, that indicates the result. He was moved by the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God, so that with this result, from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I think that's um, parts of Yugoslavia and Albania, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So what does he mean? He's covered this territory. And he's fully preached. What does that mean? I think it means he's completed his calling that Christ gave to him as a preacher of, a go- of the gospel. And as he says elsewhere, later in his life, he's ready to be poured out as a drink offering to die. And he's run the race well. He's fought the good fight, as he tells Timothy. And so here, he's not ready to quit yet. He, he has fully preached the gospel. And then he says there in verse 20, what was, I think, his uh, missions policy, his church planting policy. In uh, verse 20, he says, And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And then he quotes from Isaiah 52, which talks about the gospel going out to the Gentiles, to those who um, have not heard the gospel. Uh, They shall see it, they shall understand it. So he's fulfilling that scripture because of the work of the Spirit in his life and his desire to be what he's been called to do, that is to minister to the Gentiles. And so it's his aim to preach where others have not heard or where there is another, there is no other church established. And so in the days of church planting, we need to wrestle with that. We need to think about that. Now, in coming, there are plenty who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. So as we think about this, let me quickly ask four questions. Number one, what is your personal ministry to Christ? How are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? 
I know you're not an apostle. Uh, perhaps you would like to become a missionary. We need not discount or discredit that desire, even in a room like this. Because we need to be mission-minded. We need to be foreign mission-minded. We need to be home mission-minded. But what is your current service to Christ? You know, Paul was not the only one who was a minister in that sense, serving the Lord. Because when we move through 15 and get to chapter 16, he starts mentioning names and how it was that they served Christ. How they helped his ministry and the work of the church. Right? Second, what is your motive for ministry? Is it to gain a following? To receive affirmation? To pad your resume? Or is it to give thanksgiving to Christ? Maybe you've forgotten what your motive was. Maybe you've been doing ministry for so long it becomes a lot like work and drudgery. Well, that's when you need to focus your eyes again on Christ. The Lord Jesus, how He saved you, how He feeds you, how He takes care of you, how He ministers to you. And that is the power and strength. His Spirit within us. That's how we are motivated to go out and do the work of the ministry. And then, what is the strength of your ministry? Well, I've just said it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this. I I believe that our dependency upon the Lord will manifest itself in our prayer, our prayer lives. I've had to learn this over the years. We, we talk about doing things in our own strength, and I've thought, well, what does that mean? I don't understand that, which probably means if it's true, I've been doing it. But doing things in our own strength, relying on our own abilities, relying on our own gifts, it's really about an attitude being dependent upon the Lord. So in the past five to eight years, learning from a retired minister, seeing him pray for just about nearly everything, some things we don't have to pray for, but we, we are to pray without ceasing. We're to have an attitude of prayer. That prayer acknowledges that God is in control. God gives us strength. God arranges the circumstances in our lives for these things to come to fruition. And so if I'm going to make a phone call, Maybe arranging a meeting. Lord, please bless this phone call. If I'm about to knock on a door, Lord, please work here. The smallest things. We ought to be dependent upon them to the Lord. Worship. Pray that the Lord blesses our worship. The ministry of worship. And then last, where do you worship? Where do you worship? Paul was awesome. By the grace of God, say that tongue in cheek. He was the chief of sinners, but he accomplished a lot, and he did it through God's strength. An apostle to the Gentiles could be missions. It could be right here in Providence. You could have a side ministry here or there. Some of you weren't born in the '90s, but there was a Christian singer, Steve Green. The mission, he said, the mission's still the same. Across the street or around the world, the mission is still the same. 
to proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. That's what we're about. And let us not forget it. Amen. Our Lord, our God, we thank You for Your work through this humble servant, the Apostle Paul. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we could perform and complete a fraction of the ministry He did. Whatever ministry You've given to us, and we'll offer it to You, and we thank You for it in Christ's name. Amen.